0: Okay, here's some some recent news articles that kind of relate to what we're going to be talking about. Um, Independent August 2014. New Stonewall Chief Ruth Hunts teach preschool children to celebrate being gay. Telegraph 2010. Christian Preacher in Cumbria arrested for saying homosexuality is a sin. Fox News 2014. Christian Preacher, sorry, Fox News, July 2014, California governor signs bill replacing the words husband and wife in state law. The terms will be replaced with spouse to accommodate for same-sex marriage. Telegraph, July 2013, a Christian bed and breakfast owner ordered to compensate a gay couple after refusing them a double bed is made, uh, is to take their fight to the Supreme Court. just sharing these things, just simply to say that's the kind of things that are coming up, going on and around us in the news. There's quite a lot of tension and debate around the whole question of homosexuality and how it engages with Christianity and how does it fit with the Bible and all these things. Something which, to be honest, if things are going on around us, we have to talk about them and we have to talk about them in an appropriate way. So that's my hope today. I'm aware as we talk about this. So listen, here's why we're talking about this. We're going through a series in Genesis. We're working our way through Genesis in chronological order, and we find ourselves today in Genesis 19. And as a church, we just do that. We, we, we kind of, we don't seek to focus on particular issues. We just simply want to let the Bible speak. And it just so happens that today, this is what the Bible's saying in Genesis 19. It's talking about uh, the destruction of Sodom, uh, which was sin, which historically is known for homosexual practice. So we're going to talk about that. There's three dangers when we talk about these things. One danger is that people reject the Bible and say, ah, it's outdated. Another danger is that people twist the Bible and say, ah, it doesn't really say that homosexuality is a sin, despite the very blatant verses that say it is. And then the third problem is, the third danger is people presenting the Bible very accurately and clearly, but with an unloving, homophobic agenda. In other words, presenting the word of God without the love of God. All three are dangers. So today, we're not actually. It's not really talking about issues. We're talking about people, people we know. Maybe some of you are homosexual. I know, in fact, I know some of you are homosexual. Um, maybe you have relatives who are homosexual, work colleagues, close friends. I've got close friends who are homosexual. We're living in a city where there's many homosexuals. So this isn't an issue. This is people we're talking about. And all I would ask is this. You know, whatever your agenda, wherever you're coming from, whatever your uh, closeness has been to talking about the subject, or if you've been kind of against what the church says about this stuff, just please be open today. If you're, if you're thinking we should be doing certain things or not doing certain things, just open up. If you're homophobic, just let your anger die down and just open your heart today. And hopefully together we can find some important truth. Now, just, I'm aware, there's more than I can say in this sermon, so I'm going to be reading out statistics and research and quotes at various points in the message. My Twitter feed's here, I'm posting links and quotes and research and articles and various things that will kind of give you some further reading if you want to go into that, so that's my Twitter feed behind me. So let's get into the text, say, praise the Lord to ease the tension. Genesis 19 verse 1. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. Okay, so here we have angels appearing to Lot. Now, apparently they came in the form of of men. Hebrews tells us that apparently we can entertain angels unawares thinking they're human beings. And here we have a angels arriving in Lot with the agenda of bringing judgment to, to Sodom. Lot, we see, is sitting in the city gate. Now, that was a place of preeminence. So, you have people who were sitting at city gates. They were preeminent. They were influential. They were typically affluent people who uh, decided what happened in that city. So, Lot's got, obviously, an important position and an important role in the city of Sodom. Let's go to verses 2 and 3. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servants' house so I can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, the answer is we will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they uh, did go with him and they entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Lot knew full well the dangers in Sodom. He knew exactly, you know, if you stay the night in the city street, in the, in the city's town square, it's not gonna go well. So, there's a kind of an urgency in his heart. He, at this point, he doesn't realize they're angels. There's an urgency in his heart to protect these newcomers to the town. And so he brings them into his house, gives them food, and it says he cooks without yeast. Typically, baking bread without yeast, just like the Exodus uh, in, the, in the book of Exodus, it was done in haste. It's something that's done quickly, hence, there's no yeast in the bread. So, this was an urgent moment. And then it says in verse 4 before they'd gone to beds, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house and they called to Lot, uh, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we may have sex with them. Okay, this wasn't really going that well as we can see. Notice it says in the verse, it says all the men, all. It's not like half the city, we're like this. All the men of the city, And notice it also says the men, old and young. The young people were obviously highly sexualized and were fully participating in homosexual activity along with probably other sexual activity. Verse six, Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him. He said, no, my friends, do not do this thing. I have two daughters. Look, I have two daughters. A man's never slept with them. Let me bring them out to you and do to them what you like But do not do anything to these men. They've come under my protection of my roof, unlike my daughters. (sighs) You see, let me just tell you, there are no good guys in this story. There are no good guys. It's not like you've got the bad homos outside, and then you've got Lot, the good holy guy, you know? Lot is warped, right? Lot calls them wicked. He said, This is wicked behavior. But look at what Lot goes and does. What's his alternative? He's my daughters. See, Lot was living in Sodom, but actually Sodom, more than he realized, was living in him. Verse 9. Get out of our way, they replied. This fellow came here as a foreigner, now he wants to play our judge. We will treat you worse than them. They kept bringing pressure on Lot, and they moved forward to break down the door. But the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house with both young and old, with blindness, so that they could not find the door. This is kind of all turning very surreal, In these, this is a strange episode. The two men said to Lot, do you have anyone else here, sons-in-laws, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here, because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its, its people is so great that he sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were pledged to be married to his daughters. Remember the ones he loved so much? And he said to them, hurry, get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy it. But his sons-in-law thought he was a joke. Sorry, he thought he was joking. The truth is, if you don't live credibly and then you suddenly turn and say, oh, the Lord says. People are going to say, you're a joke. He's about to give their future wives for gang rape and now he's saying this is what the Lord says he had no credibility left verse 15 says with the coming of dawn the angels urged Lot saying hurry take your wife and your two daughters who are here or you will be swept away when this city is punished so it's dawn by now they arrived evening time it's now dawn That's like a period of time. Time has passed. There was an urgency in the air when they first arrived, and here's Lot still in the city. You kind of get the feeling he's procrastinating. God says, hurry. And I think God would say to some of you folks, you need to run. You need to hurry. Some of you are in situations which you know are going to take you out. You need to run out of that situation. verse 16 when he hesitated the men grasped his hands and the hands of his wife and two daughters and led them out safely out of the city for the lord was merciful to them this was not because lot was so good this is because god was merciful same as with when we get rescued it's not because we're so good as soon as they had brought them out of uh, one of them said flee for your lives don't look back don't stop anywhere in the plain flee to the mountains or you will be swept away by the time Lot reached Zoar the sun had risen over the land and the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah verse 26 but Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt Archaeologists have searched this region and discovered the ruins of Sodom and Gomorrah just east southeast of the Dead Sea uh, from their digs, they found evidence that the destruction of those two towns happened by fire. And they found layers of ash around the two, the two areas where the cities were. Layers of ash that ranged from 15, sorry, 10 to 50 centimeters deep. They've also Surveys have also located bitumen, petroleum, natural gas, and sulfur in the area. God destroyed two cities with fire. The Bible teaches that a day will come when he will destroy the entire world with fire. Just in the past, he destroyed the world with a flood. He said that in the future, I will destroy the world with fire and there'll be a new heavens and a new earth. Sodom was very bad for Lot. Now, we've, if you've been with us over the previous weeks and months, as we've worked through Genesis, you remember chapter 14? Lot, who had lived in Sodom, when Sodom was overrun by marauding armies, he was taken captive. So, by very virtue of the fact he was in the wrong place, wrong time, he ends up being a captive, and Abraham has to step in and rescue him. So, things aren't going well for Lot. And now we see Lot making this totally warped decision. So, he's my daughter's. Totally warped decision. This guy's been affected by Sodom, and the angels say, You need to get out. And God would say the same to us. Paul says to a church, the church at Corinth, which to be honest, the church at Corinth is very like this church. A church full of people with a past. This is what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 18, flee immorality. Paul says to a young man called Timothy who he's mentoring, he says in 2 Timothy 2.22, flee youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. We see Joseph in the book of uh, Genesis later on, we'll come to it. Joseph, when he's in a point of great temptation to commit adultery, um, he, in the heat of the moment, literally his shirt has been taken off his back by the woman, He's, he just runs. He just runs. He just runs. Because sometimes the best thing to do is just run. Jesus speaking about Lot's wife says in Luke 17, 32, remember Lot's wife. But Here's the context of what Jesus says. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it you see some people are trying like Lot's wife i Lot's wife was hankering she was thinking there's a lot of good about Sodom there's a lot of pleasurable things in Sodom there was a, a remembrance of the past and some of you you fantasize and think about what if what if i just stayed in that situation what if i hadn't brought a change there what if i just continued the way i was going there's a lot of in your minds you're going through a what if about your past But do you know what, you have to let go of that. Because if you try and hold on to the past, if you try and hold on to what you considered was life, your attempts at life, then do you know what, you end up losing it all. You've got to let go, cut off all ties, and run with the Lord. So what was the sin of Sodom? Now there's an obvious issue going on, homosexuality. But by the way, I don't think that was the big issue. We'll come to that at the end. But let's, for this moment, talk about homosexuality and the realities of it. Because the challenge we've got is we're living in a culture which is portraying a very innocent view of homosexuality as if it is just as a valid an alternative a lifestyle as heterosexual sex. Let me read you some statistics, and as I say on my Twitter feed today, there are many. There's links to these statistics so you can go away, and there's links to books and things that you can read if you want to do more research yourself. Research based on a man called Thomas Schmidt, who wrote a book and who did a great talk at the Veritas Forum, and also on a website by William Lane Craig entitled Reasonable Faith. Okay, the Kinsey Report, some of you have heard of the Kinsey Report, published way back in the 1948s, uh, it off. It's often used to, these days even to claim that 10% of the adult population is homosexual, But the problem is this is not supported by research that has subsequently been produced and it's been discredited because its way of finding the research was flawed. So it is not the case that 10% of the adult population are homosexual. There have been around a dozen more accurate and subjective studies since the 1980s that have produced very different results. The studies show that between 1% and 1.5% of adult males... And 0.5 and 0.75 percent of adult females report having same gender sex in the last year. A total of four percent report having reoccurring homosexual desires. Does a homosexual lifestyle differ from a heterosexual lifestyle? The most recent and respected study to date was carried out by a man called Alan Bell and Martin Weinberg. Who took about a thousand subjects and they studied them in 1958 in San Francisco and published their results. Their results have been confirmed by dozens of subsequent studies. They revealed that 10% of gay men are in longer term, that's two years or more, relationships. 20% of gay men are in short-term partnerships, but the majority of others are constantly changing partners. 83% of gay men report having more than 50 partners in a lifetime. 28% of gay men report having more than 1,000 partners in a lifetime. 77% report having more than 10 partners in the past five years. That's 10 times the general male population. That's 10 times the statistics than that of the male population. The majority of male homosexuals report that more than half their partners are strangers and that they are never seen again after sex has happened. Promiscuity within these longer-term relationships is high. 80% of gay men in longer-term relationships reported a non-monogamous experience in the last year compared to 23% of people who are cohabiting heterosexuals or 10% of married heterosexuals. Monogamy in the gay male population is virtually so small statistically that it's virtually 0%. 28% of lesbian women are in longer-term relationships. 40% of lesbian women have reported more than 10 partners in a lifetime. That compares to 10% of the general female population. 40% compared to 10%. 90% of gay men or women Never ha- uh, report never having had a relationship that lasted more than three years. 90% of gay men and women. 40% of homosexuals have a history of major depression. Gay men in Scotland, I just came across this in the STV News uh, article in 2012. Gay men in Scotland are nearly eight times more likely to have attempted suicide in the past year and four times more likely to have taken drugs than heterosexual men, according to a survey carried out by none other than the Stonewall Scotland Foundation. Heterosexual women attempt suicide two times as often as heterosexual women. Clinical literature reveals that 75% of homosexual men carry one or more sexually transmitted disease. That's not including AIDS. 40% 40% are sick at least once a year due to sexual behavior. Almost a third gradually lose normal bowel function. The life expectancy of a homosexual male is about 45 years of age. That compares to the life expectancy of around 70 for men in general. If you include those who die of AIDS, which now infects 30% of homosexual men, the life expectancy drops to 39 years of age. of those who die from AIDS are homosexual men. Just so it's not so abstract, I have many homosexual friends. Some of you do too. Let me read you, I asked one of them if if he'd be mind if I read out his story. So yesterday he wrote this for me. He's a member of Destiny Church Glasgow. I've known him for about 20 years. We're great friends. This is what he said. This is Neil's story. And by the way, he's, if any of you struggle with these issues, or you know someone who's struggling with these issues, he's very happy to be in contact and talk to you and help. So he's a leader in the church in Glasgow. It was in my teens when I realized that I was different from the other boys in my school. They would discuss the girls they fancied, but I realized I didn't fancy the girls, but some of them instead. Coming from a small village, I suppressed my feelings from friends and family. I had, a first, I had my first secretive relationship, age 15, with a guy who was age 22. The relationship did not last, but the physical side and the secretive nature excited me. I carried on after with casual sex and many different experiences with different people. I moved to Dumfries in 1982. I carried on a relationship, but I also attended church and local youth fellowship. On July the 2nd that year, I went for a walk with my friends who told me that I needed Jesus in my life. At that time, I was involved with a difficult relationship And Jesus was the last thing that I thought I needed. However, that night I did ask Jesus into my life. I thought that everything would change immediately, but it did not. The conflicts got worse. In public, I was a nice Christian. In private, involved in a promiscuous lifestyle. The conflict got so bad that I attempted suicide and had a nervous breakdown. I was hospitalized for six months. I discovered... And uh, so I recovered, and life moved on. I moved to Glasgow in 1987, and the conflicts didn't cease then. Church on one side, gay sex on the other. I even gave up church for a while. In 1996, that's when I met Neil. I started feeling unwell and wasn't sure what was on, what was going wrong. So I went to the doctors, and I was diagnosed as HIV positive. I've now been celibate for some time. I'm involved in the leadership at Destiny Church in Glasgow. God is so good. The challenge is the illness that steadily got worse. I was told in recent weeks that Neil talked to me at the conference we just had that he's been given between 12 and 18 months to live now. However, I, I, I still aim to work full time, serve at church. My trust is in God. And I'm totally assured that my redeemer lives and will continue to keep me as He has done up to this point. And then he says this wee thing, that if anyone wants help, um, you know, get in touch with us and we'll pass on his email address to you. So that's some of the, the realities, what research shows about homosexual lifestyle that probably you haven't heard the media push so hard. It's not politically correct research. But nevertheless, you can check it out. It's accurate research. But let me talk to you about actually what is the sin of Sodom? What was the root issue behind what we saw? I guess if you could ask God, God, what was your problem with the people in Sodom? I don't think he would have said homosexuality. In fact, let me tell you what God says, let me read it to you from God's own words. Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49 and 50. Here's what God says through the prophet. Sodom's sins were pride, gluttony, and laziness, while the poor and the needy suffered outside her door. She was proud and committed detestable sins. So I wiped her out, as you have seen. Notice God's version of what was going wrong in Sodom isn't just the headlines, but it's right under the surface. He's not just dealing with the fruit. He's dealing with the root. The fruit, we saw homosexual practice, probably along with many other degrading sexual practices. But the root, as far as God was concerned, was pride. Pride. And actually, I'm convinced that pride is at the root of the vast majority of our sins, whether you are heterosexual or homosexual. Augustine said that pride is the mother of all sins. It gives birth to every other sin. And that follows. You look in the Bible, the first fall before the fall of man was the fall of Satan himself. And Satan fell because of pride. And then when it came time for that dreadful temptation in the garden temptation with the first human beings adam and eve came and the temptation was you can be like god it ignited pride in their soul just as pride ignited in satan's soul and the greatest fall ever happens where humankind created an image of god rebelled against the god they created we replaced god we dethroned god in our souls we put ourselves in the position of god This is what it says about Satan's fall, Isaiah 14. It's also recorded in Ezekiel. Isaiah 14, 13 to 14. You've said in your heart, talking to Satan, I will ascend to heaven. I will rise my throne above the stars of God. I will make myself like the most high. That's pride. And that was Satan's and human beings' fall. I love what Tim Keller said. Tim Keller says, the fastest way to be like Satan is to try and be God. So going forward, what can we do? What can we do is is every, every, I'm not just speaking to people who struggle with homosexuality, the chances are we have just under 1,000 people in our church and the chances are, according to statistics, about 40 of you battle on a regular basis with homosexual feelings and thoughts and at some point in your life will have engaged in homosexual activity that's the reality so I'm speaking to a number of you here and in the other services that are happening that will be the similar case but also for those who are heterosexual here and your issues are different issues what what is the answer to the root issue that actually isn't just the root issue of homosexuality but the root issue of many other things that spring up in our lives that issue of pride so I've got three things I want to give us number one embrace life transforming power Listen to what Paul says to the church at Corinth. And I believe the church at Corinth is very similar to this church. A people with a past. 1 Corinthians chapter nine, verse, sorry, chapter 6 verse 9 and eleven. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers... It's rubbish when we have a sin in the Bible. We don't even know what it is. What is a swindler? Anyway. So if you are one of those, please tell me what you are. I don't know what you are. Nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Such, say where. Say where. Such were some of you. But you were washed you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. And such were some of you. Many people argue, I, cannot choo- I didn't choose my homosexuality, therefore I cannot change it. You heard the argument? I didn't choose this, this is just how I am, therefore I can't change it. But here's the truth. Most of the things you want to change in your life, you didn't choose. You didn't choose your propensity to anger. You didn't choose your propensity to overeating. Some of you didn't choose your propensity to chemical addiction or alcoholism. There are many, many issues in our lives which we did not choose, but we absolutely want to change. So it really isn't an argument we've had two speakers come and speak very well on the subject of homosexuality over the years and I've put links to their talks on my Twitter feed today two speakers were Jonathan Berry who is the chairman of the True Freedom Trust, which by the way if you are struggling with homosexuality is an excellent and very safe place to talk to people who also have that struggle but want to honour God and the Bible the True Freedom Trust and also we've had a guy called Simon um, Foster, thank you Simon's spoken twice, I know him well, I remember his name every time. (laughs) He used to be the pastor at Glasgow Elam Church, now he's down south. And what's interesting is the difference between their messages. If you listen to Jonathan Berry, his story is this. I was in a long-term homosexual relationship. I became a Christian. I realized homosexuality, according to the Bible, according to God, is a sin. I repented. But ever since then, I've battled the feelings of lust and thoughts ever since then but I live a celibate life, just like my friend Neil in Glasgow. That's one story. That's one testimony of God working. Okay, let me tell you Simon Foster's story, very different story. His story was he was a homosexual living a passionate homosexual lifestyle, totally living up, very promiscuous. He became a Christian not knowing at all what the Bible said about homosexuality. One day he said, God, let me just ask you about what I'm doing here. And he picked up the Bible and opened it. Now there are very few verses actually that speak about homosexuality. I know Christians make a big deal about it, but actually there aren't many verses that speak about it. So what are the chances of opening it and putting your finger on one of those verses? Very slim. And yet that's exactly what happens. And he read similar verse to what I just read to you from Corinthians. He closed the Bible and threw it into the corner and said, "I want nothing to do with God." He had actually no idea that's what God thought about homosexuality. He'd come to faith and had an authentic relationship with God, not knowing that. But God took him on a journey and transformed him to the point where he no longer has those desires and he's a married man now, a heterosexual married man. Two testimonies. One testimony of a man who came to Christ and has since then battled with lust, but by the power of God has lived a celibate life. Another man who came to Christ was transformed by God's power Both testimonies of the working of God. Some change, some battle all their days. But glory to be to God. And some of you are struggling with different issues. Some of you are struggling with alcohol. And you've heard the stories of someone instantly changing. Maybe at the point of their baptism or someone laid hands on them. And we believe in that. But there's also some of you who that didn't happen for. And you just have to... You're kind of holding this tension. You, you, you know that you've got a chink in your armour, And you know you cannot go into your pubs. You know, you know you're not that free. That you can just let the guard down. Others of you have got different battles. Some of you are struggling with pornography. And you've heard the stories of people. Who just instantly got free. But not for you. You know there's a dark area. You need to watch. You need to be accountable. You need to guard your life all your days. Whatever your struggle is. God is able to, with his power, cause you to overcome, either to change the situation completely or give you the power to resist all your days. Man entered into a conversation with a little kid. He saw the little kid walking down a lane and the little kid had in his hand a a rusted old birdcage with a few birds from the field in the birdcage. And he was really rough with the cage and the birds were getting knocked around and the birds were in some distress. The man was a bit concerned and he said, What have you got there? And he said, I've got some of these fe- birds. I caught them from the fields. And he said, And what are you going to do with them? He said, oh, I'm just going to play with them for a bit then I'll feed them to my old cat back home. Sounds like some of your kids. <laughs> and the man said, Listen, I would love to buy that birdcage from you. Would you do that? He said, Which one of the rusty old bird cages? These birds can hardly even sing. Said, "I'd like to buy it from you. Would you buy it? Could I buy it for twenty pounds?" And the kid said, "Yeah, right. Yeah, of course you can." So he very gladly handed over the rusty old bird cage with the three birds, and and he walked away with twenty pounds in his hands. And the man walked round the corner and opened the bird cage and encouraged the birds, and they they flew free. And I believe in a God who did something for us two thousand years ago. That means that you have power to live free. 2,000 years ago, God, the creator of everything, the same God who brought judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah and the same God who will bring judgment on the entire planet in the days to come. By the way, Sodom's judgment hasn't come yet. Jesus said it will be more tolerable for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment. That day's still ahead for them. God was just taking about the picture in the meantime. Everyone will face a day of judgment It will be an ultimate day where we stand before God and our eternal destination will be predicted. The same God who judges because he's holy is the same God who loves with a love like you have never understood or comprehended. A love to the scale, to the degree that you've only dreamt was possible. A God who loves you that much. 2,000 years ago, Jesus was born. He walked this earth. He healed the sick. He taught great things. And At the end of it, he died a barbaric death on a cross. In that moment, holy blood was shed to cleanse unholy blood. Holy blood was shed to cleanse every stain of sin in your soul that you ever have committed, are committing, or ever will commit if you choose to come to Him. You have the choice whether you can fly free from that birdcage, but I have to tell you, the price was paid. You have the opportunity to live free in Jesus. But it means coming to Him, it means coming to Him, not doing it your way, it means coming under. You see, When we we put ourselves over God in our pride at the beginning, that was the fall. Our rescue comes from when we come ourselves under and say, Jesus, be Lord, be my Savior. And that Savior who paid the ultimate price for you on the cross can set you free. Paul writes to this church and says, but you were washed. You can be clean from whatever sin. You were sanctified. That means he's doing a work in your life. he's making you, he declares you holy already, totally holy before God, but then that's been outworked in your life and personality. You were justified. That means you're declared right before holy God for all eternity. In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. In other words, because of what Jesus did in the cross and your trust in him and that Jesus, who died on the cross, is resurrected. He's alive now. He's here by his Holy Spirit. Welcome, Jesus. And he, his power right now could be at work in your life, causing you to overcome the things you can't overcome in your own strength. His power, the power of the Holy Spirit, empowering you to change what you could not change. Getting free from addiction isn't about willpower, it's not about, okay, more accountability, more will. It's about the power of the Holy Spirit. Accountability works but it means nothing without the power of the Holy Spirit. So the point first I want to make to you is embrace life-transforming power that's available in Jesus. And I would say that to the non-Christian here today, please become a believer in Jesus. Non-Christian homosexual, please put your trust in Jesus and repent of homosexual sin. Non-Christian heterosexual, put your trust in Jesus and repent of every other sin that you commit. Christian homosexual, struggler, Christian, non-homosexual struggler, let the power of Jesus be your success. Walk in the sanctification and the power that He's got working in your life currently. Second point is this: love and worship God. Romans 1:25 to 27, Paul says, and this is such an important passage. He says they worshipped and served the things that God created instead of the Creator Himself. This is right back at the beginning. We turned away from God. We started worshiping things that God created rather than God himself. Now, I know it outworked by them forming carved images and kind of making statues that they worship. I know that. But more than that, that's just the agenda of materialism, isn't it? Isn't it? You know, we, we serve stuff. We live for things. We live for money. We live for anything other than God. They worship and serve things that God created instead of the creator himself. That's why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead of indulging with sex with each other. And men, instead of having normal sexual relationships with women, burned in lust for each other. By the way, some people say, well, Paul was talking about pedophilia in his day. He wasn't. He's talking about men with men. That, you see it in the verse. He's talking about men with men. It's not a Roman custom where men would take young boys. That was sin as well. But Paul is very clearly speaking about peers. This is mutuality. This is not... Um, this is two mutual consenting adults. Men with other men. Men did shameful things with each other. God gave them over. You see, what is natural to you? What's most natural? When we say what's natural, you've got to ask yourself, what do you mean with what's natural? Because what was natural pre fall is very different to what is natural post fall. Let me tell you the most natural thing for a human being to do worship their creator. Fall in love with someone from the opposite sex, have sexual relations, be married all your days. That's natural. But isn't it interesting? By the way, isn't it interesting also that throughout the Bible, marriage is used as an illustration of what? Our relationship with, with God. Throughout the Bible. Isn't it interesting then here when we abandoned what was most natural, our worship of the true God, to worshiping things like us? That not only did the the reality change, but also the illustration was changed as well. The illustration of the relationship with God is marriage. But the relationship with God gets broken, the illustration gets broken. And just as we pursued unnatural worship of things rather than the creator, so God also gave us over to the unnatural relationships rather than natural relationships. The healing of the homosexual soul just as the healing of any other soul comes from dealing not with the fruit but with the root the worship of the true God that's the healing of the homosexual soul and that's the healing of every other soul worshipping, getting back to the thing you were created to do worship the true God let your life become all about him then I can assure you, when that sun is in the center of your galaxy, every other planet in orbit will fall into place. All the things will start to make proper sense. Sequences will kick in that should have been there at the very beginning. It might take time, but that's the starting point. The healing of the soul comes from worshiping God. And then the third point, the final point I want to make, it's an important point, is this. Love all people, hate all sin. It's interesting, the same God who said in Leviticus 19, 18, love your neighbor as yourself. The same God who said that, one chapter later says this, Leviticus 20, 13. If a man practises homosexuality after ha- having sex with another man as with a woman, both men have committed a despicable act. So the same God who says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. One chapter later says, Homosexual activity is an abomination. That's one translation. Or a detestable act. That's another translation. Let me make a point. Homosexual sex is the result of a fall. Homosexual desires is the result of the fall of man. But let me also make a point. That homophobic, hate-filled agenda is also the result of the fall. Anti-human beings' agenda is just as much the result of the fall as homosexual sex is the result of the fall the same God who says these things is the same God who says love your neighbor as you love yourself so love people and hate sin but start with your sin hate it take the log out of your own eye first deal with it repent love God, love people hate your sin first and love people so much that you hate the things that are consuming their lives too. But to put this in perspective, folks, the Bible says far more about materialism, injustice to the poor, heterosexual sin, sexual heterosexual sin, pride and jealousy than it does about homosexual sin. There are more heterosexual sex sins going on in this church than homosexual sex sins there are more heterosexual sex sins going on in this city than homosexual sex sins so you have to hold this in tension Jesus one day was presented by the Pharisees who their agenda was clear, they wanted to cash him out they presented him with a, a woman caught in the act of adultery, now in that day and age, in the strict Jewish culture, that was frowned upon, big style It it was a marginalized and criticized lifestyle. And she was presented to Jesus and they said, okay, you need to stone her according to the Jewish law. Jesus, what he did was remarkable. You know the story. He first turns and he exposed the hypocrisy of the Pharisees who were the potential stone throwers. He said, let every one of you who is without sin cast the first stone. And not one human being can claim to be that. Only God can cause fireballs to come from heaven and consume sinners. Only God is holy. Having exposed the hypocrisy, he then turns to the woman and says, does no one condemn you? Neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. He says two things. He doesn't just say, neither do I condemn you. And he doesn't just say, go leave your life of sin. He says, neither do I condemn you, go leave your life of sin. And the only reason Jesus can say, neither do I condemn you, the very one who wrote the Ten Commandments is the one who in the flesh said that, is because he went to the cross and he was condemned for us. He took the condemnation that we should have experienced. That's the only reason legally he could have said, neither do I condemn you. Because he knew exactly what it would cost for her to be condemnation free. He knew what it would cost him and he he was willing because he loved her. And then he said, now go and leave your life of sin. And this is the important bit, folks. You see, the Bible does not liberate you from righteousness. It liberates you to righteousness. God sets you free To not use your freedom as an excuse to do whatever the heck you want. He sets you free to live the life he put you on earth to live. Let's pray. I hope this message has helped you. If you'd like to find out more about our church, download more audio teaching, give us feedback or make a contribution, please visit our website at destinyedinburgh.com. May God continue the great work he is doing in your life.